Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Oh, I'm doing okay for the most part. I mean, not thrilled with the state of the world or the state of this country, and fuck the Supreme Court. But other than that, you know, okay. I did recently have my mind blown and was forced to face a couple of very difficult to come to terms with hard truths. The first one is, I don't know shit about bats. Which is unsettling, but not a huge surprise. What was much more surprising was the realization that neither does anyone else. See, based on a conversation in a recent episode with Sarah Sentry, I have been checking out some more recent Batman comics, and for the most part, I've been enjoying them. But in one of the comics, a crook or somebody says something along the lines of a bat is a flying rodent, and Batman corrects them and says, no, a bat is a primate. And I was like, that doesn't sound right. I think I'm on the crook's side here. So I did a quick Google search and found this. Perhaps surprisingly, bats are closely related to primates, the mammal taxon that includes lemurs, monkeys, apes, and humans. What? So yeah, when I read that, I freaked the fuck out. It's like, I missed one issue of zoo books when I was a kid, and now 30 years later I find out my entire understanding of animal taxonomy is based on a shifting foundation of sand and fog. I mean, learning that a bat is a monkey is a fucking game changer. So, after about a half hour of trying and failing to process that information, I did another internet search and came up with this fucking nugget. Bat classification is complicated because bats' tiny, delicate bones make for poor fossils. It used to be thought that bats were actually closely related to primates, including humans, but recent genome analysis has classified them in a superorder that includes animals such as pangolins and whales. What? And then I found this. Bats are more closely related to carnivores, hooved mammals, and whales than they are to rodents. So, according to scientists, we used to think that bats were rodents, but then we learned that they're either monkeys, whales, or horses. Has a scientist ever seen a bat? Or are they just trying to do like a fucking book report based on a movie trailer they saw? Do bats even exist? Am I a bat? I don't have the answer to any of these questions anymore, and apparently nobody else does either. As near as I can tell, batologists, or whatever the fuck they call themselves, just have like a modified chore wheel that they spin once a month that says, What is a bat today? Oh, alright, uh, according to this chart, turns out that a bat is a feeling. Then next month, they give the fucking wheel a spin. Oh, no, no, turns out we were wrong about that. A bat is actually technically a 1974 Plymouth Reliant. Anyway, despite the fact that I am, by default, 
apparently the world's foremost expert on bats, you probably didn't download this podcast to hear me talk about those, I don't know, air-breathing winged fish, or whatever they are. So let's talk about a comic book. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is once again submitted by Brad Reed. When shape-changing rat men attack in the sewers, and Cyborg says Mebby, and Troya gets skewered, then Deathstroke shows up to provide one with a fist kiss, oh dang you foul rat men, enjoy a synopsis. Synopsis? Thanks, Brad. New Titans, number 62, January 1990. Titan Plague! Written by Marv Wolfman, drotted by Tom Grummet, Inked by Al Vey, lettered by John Costanza, colored by Adrienne Roy, and edited by John Peterson and Mike Carlin. New Titan Roll Call Cyborg, Starfire, Troya, Raven, Jericho, Speedy, and Beast Boy. Previously in the New Titans. Beast Boy has been on leave from the Titans ever since his stepfather, Steve Dayton, the fifth richest and therefore fifth most trustworthy man in America, decided that palling around with our post-adolescent protagonists was interfering with his stepson's grades. Nightwing was on leave from the Titans so that he could take some time to help his mentor Batman get his groove back. Also, he bought a circus. During his absence, the acrobatic adventurer slash circus magnate asked his old pal Speedy, a.k.a. Roy Harper, to lend our heroes a hand and appointed Cyborg as temporary team leader. Gadzooks! What have the rest of the Titans been doing during Dick's hiatus? Has Speedy's presence been of any help whatsoever to our titular team? And what event necessitates Beast Boy's return to the Titans? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Taking an unnecessarily complicated phone message for Dick? No, but one time like 30 years ago he shot a tiny parachute onto a monkey who fell out of a tree, so I can probably just coast on that for another couple years at least. And the return of a certain mercenary who uses 90% of his brain, but only 50% of his eyeballs. Well, shit. The Titans have been stumbling around the sewers in the dark for a while, looking for a mysterious creature who has recently eviscerated several people. Eventually, Cyborg is like, Man, I wish we brought a light with us. Donna is like, Oh, ever since I went into space and got my powers in Origin retconned, I can make a magic flashlight appear in my palm. Do you think I should use that? The gang is of the opinion that yes, Donna using her magic flashlight is indeed preferable to wandering blindly through sewage. Once they can see where they are, Cyborg goes over what they know about their quarry. It doesn't take very long. Basically, over the past few days, someone, or something, has torn apart a bunch of people. The bodies were so badly damaged that the coroner was unable to identify the victims. That's pretty much it. Cyborg is like, we don't even know if we're looking for a single murderer or multiple killers. That question, at least, is about to be answered, 
in a pretty dramatic fashion. As soon as Cyborg stops speaking, two giant human-sized rat creatures leap from the shadows and attack the sewer-spelunking superheroes. One of the were-rats instantly knocks Donna unconscious. After clawing at her face and throat, it turns its attention to Joey and KOs the lemur-eyed Lothario as well. The other rat thing leaps at Cyborg, but Speedy shoots it in the neck with an arrow. Hooray! Unfortunately, being impaled seems to affect the creature less than one might have hoped. It rips the arrow from its throat and lunges at the alarmed archer who launched the offending projectile. Speedy does his best to fend off the attack, but he's pretty clearly overmatched. Raven tries to use her nonsense powers to chill the ferocious rat out, but the creature in question just picks up Speedy and throws him at the avian-themed enchantress. To prevent the airborne arrow slinger from crashing into her, Raven opens up her bird-shaped soul tummy, and Speedy is sent tumbling into the dimension that Raven goes to to yell about her feelings. This feelings-averse has an odd effect on Speedy. He basically trips balls for a few pages and hallucinates about what a fuck-up he's always been, eventually reaching the conclusion that he's doing a lot better these days and is probably going to stop messing up so much. Well, good for him. This epiphany is so powerful that it knocks both Roy and Raven unconscious, leaving Starfire and Cyborg to face the surprisingly powerful were-rats on their own. Oops. So much for not screwing up anymore, huh, Speedy? The two remaining titans brace themselves to make a final stand against their feral foes, but suddenly there's a bright flash of light which momentarily blinds our remaining pair of protagonists. When they regain their vision, they're surprised to find that their attackers seem to have fled. On a seemingly unrelated note, two months earlier, in the very specific location of Africa, Deathstroke the Terminator, a.k.a. Slade Wilson, the super-powered assassin who uses 90% of his brain but only 50% of his eyeballs, was being chased across the plains by two attack helicopters and a couple of jeeps. The monocular mercenary did some flippy stuff and some shooty stuff and managed to either elude or kill all of his pursuers and steal a helicopter. Later that night, he returned to his secret compound and discovered that his butler-slash-best-friend Wintergreen was bleeding out on the floor. Wintergreen was like, Terribly sorry, old bean, but I was only able to kill two of the intruders before they... Then he passed out. Furious, Deathstroke tore off his mask and swore vengeance on whoever it was who hurt his pal-slash-employee. Back in the present, or at least the slightly more recent past that the rest of this story takes place in, the gang is hanging out in the waiting room of Star Labs, where they have taken Donna to be treated for her wounds. Beast Boy swings by to check and see how Donna's doing. Cyborg is like, Hey, I thought your dad said you couldn't hang out with us until you stopped doing shitty in school. Are you passing all of your classes now? Everyone laughs at Vic's funny joke that Gar might be succeeding academically. Beast Boy is like, No, but remember, I'm allowed to visit you guys in the hospital. Just no crime fighting or social gatherings. I mean, now that I mention it, I don't actually remember my stepdad saying the part about no social gatherings, but Vic insists that he did. Cyborg is like, Oh, no, he, he definitely did. He called and told me about it when you were in the other room. Gar is like, Oh, okay. 
Well, fortunately, you guys are seriously injured on a pretty regular basis, so I still get to check in, like, every other day or so. Speaking of which, how's Donna doing? Speedy is like, not so good. That rat monster gave her some kind of a gnarly disease, and so far, neither the doctors nor Raven have been able to cure her. Beast Boy is so upset by this news that he forgets to be a creepy little shit when Starfire gives him a hug. Dang. Must be serious. Inside the hospital room, Donna is still unconscious and is covered with weird blotches. The doctors explain that she's suffering from a kind of blood poisoning that they've never seen before. Raven is like, I tried nonsensing at her as hard as I can, but there's one thing I haven't tried. The doctor is like, nonsensing at her even harder? Raven is like, yes, nonsensing at her even harder. Raven grabs Donna's head and tries using her nonsense powers again. After a few seconds, the Azerathian empath starts sweating profusely and making some really weird faces. The doctor is like, no, Raven, you're nonsensing too hard. You'll hurt yourself. She and a couple of orderlies go to drag Raven off of Donna, but suddenly find that a huge green gorilla is standing in their way. The doctor is like, are you Beast Boy? The gorilla is like, maybe. But that's besides the point. Raven's really good at nonsensing. Give her a chance. After a few seconds, Raven is like, there, all done. Gar is like, the doctors want to treat you guys. Should I let them? Raven is like, yes, but only let them treat me, not Donna. Then she collapses on the floor, and the doctors rush to her side. Things are pretty tense for a while, but after an indeterminate amount of comic book time, Beast Boy returns to the waiting room and informs the rest of the Titans that Donna and Raven are going to be just fine. Hooray! Meanwhile, in Toronto, a plane lands at the airport and Slade Wilson gets off of it. As he retrieves his luggage from the baggage carousel, a stranger approaches him and says, Acme Metals, five minutes. Five minutes later, Slade leaps onto the back of a truck marked Acme Metals and hitches a ride to New York City. He spends the afternoon spying on his ex-wife, Addie Kane, through some binoculars and considers asking her to help him with his mission. But then he sees his son Jericho and is like, nah, she'd probably tell our kid about it and then the Titans would get involved. I'm fixing to do some pretty illegal shit, so it's probably for the best if I do it alone. The next day, Slade puts on a tuxedo and drives to a fundraiser in Connecticut a state that some people claim is part of New England. The event is being hosted by a guy named Walter Lanier. Slade asks the butler where he can find a Mr. Lanier, and is informed that Walt is upstairs entertaining some business associates. Unfortunately for Deathstroke, his inquiry is overheard by another of the fundraiser's attendees, one who is wearing a turquoise tuxedo that does little to complement his emerald complexion. Is it the Hulk? No. The Hulk learned to avoid high-society charity functions after running afoul of Tom Wolfe at one in The Incredible Hulk number 142. This green fundraiser attendee is none other than Garfield Logan, who is attending the mixer with his stepfather. The anamorphic adolescent instantly recognizes Deathstroke. The last time Gar had seen him, 
the complimentary color-clad criminal, had told the Titans that he probably wasn't going to try to murder them anymore, and Beast Boy had decided that made Slade his new best friend. Deathstroke realizes that his cover is blown, and tears off his tuxedo to reveal his traditional assassinating costume, which he had been wearing underneath. He sprints upstairs to confront Mr. Lanier. Gar is like, Hey, wait up, bestie! and chases after him. Deathstroke Kool-Aid mans through the closed door, and is like, Okay, Walt, it's murderin' time. Walter Lanier pretends not to know what's going on, but you can tell he's a bad guy, because he looks kinda like Dabney Coleman. Deathstroke picks up the Dabney Coleman-looking Richo by his neck, and is about to get his murder on, when a green cheetah sprints through the door and is like, Sorry, Slade, I know you're a cool, cool guy who I like and respect, despite the fact that you sexually exploited a teenage girl in an attempt to kill me and my friends, but I'd prefer if you didn't murder anyone while I'm around. Deathstroke is like, yeah, well, the thing is, I really want to kill this guy, so I'm gonna. Slade takes a second to beat up Beast Boy, then turns his attention back to Lanier. Lanier cowers and begs for his life. But when he sees that his pleas are falling on deaf ears, he grins and is like, eh, fuck it. The mustachioed millionaire's appearance shimmers as he transforms himself into a danged were-rat. Well, shit. The Lanier rat monster is like, we were just using you, Terminator, but now that your job is done, I'm going to kill you. As Beast Boy watches in horror, the now significantly less Dabney Coleman-looking creep slashes Deathstroke across the chest with his claws. The surprise super-assassin collapses to the ground. When he sees his best bud-slash-mortal-foe fall, Gar freaks out and turns into a huge green elephant, viciously attacking the rat monster. Unfortunately, Lanier's office was not engineered to accommodate the weight of a pachyderm, regardless of its color. The floor collapses under them, and in the ensuing confusion, both Lanier and Deathstroke managed to escape. Gar and his stepdad leave the party and make a beeline to the Titan Tower to fill the gang in on what just happened. Jericho is pretty bummed out to learn that his dad is in town and didn't drop him a line. He's probably also not stoked that his old man seems to be back in the murdering people game and has apparently been pretty severely wounded. Raven does her best to console the mutton-chopless mutant, but in this instance at least, her best is pretty awful. Cyborg is like, Well, thanks for telling us all this. We'll see what we can do about tracking down this rat guy, but Donna's still in the hospital and Dick's on leave, so we're a little short-staffed. Thank goodness Speedy is here to help us. When everyone is done laughing, Steve Dayton is like, Look, I didn't get to be the fifth richest and therefore fifth most trustworthy man in America by not knowing how to take a hint. Tell you what. For this mission, and for this mission only, Gar has my permission to rejoin the team. Beast Boy is super stoked at this news. The rest of the gang diplomatically refrains from commenting on it. Meanwhile, in a sewer tunnel beneath the city, a shrouded were-rat sits on a makeshift throne and is like, Well, looks like we're gonna have to murder the Titans. To be continued. And joining me once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, 
What's your favorite instance of someone bursting through a wall in media? Well, since I didn't record you doing it yesterday, <laughs> I will reference what you quoted, which is, was it the guys from Aerosmith or the guys from Run DMC that broke through the wall, or was it both of them in the Walk This Way video? I have in my head that it was Run, but maybe it was Steven Tyler. It was Steven Tyler. He used the microphone stand to bust through the wall. I would have liked it better had it been one of the Run DMC guys, but still, I remember thinking that was pretty darn neat. Yeah. That was pretty good. There's a lot of instances in media of someone bursting through a wall and saying a thing. There's that Here's Johnny from uh, The Shining. Oh, very creepy. Yeah. There's the Kool-Aid man with the, oh yeah! So when you asked me that question, the only two that I could think of were the Kool-Aid man and the Walk This Way video. But Those are the two big ones, but then you also have from the Kentucky Fried movie, the Big Jim Slade bursting through the wall. <laughs> I can't hear that name without thinking of the fake ID that we are pretty sure your mom took away she from did, you. She did, and she confirmed that, yeah, and she was going to give it back to me, but she lost it. Yeah, when I was 18, <laughs> I had a fake ID that said that my name was James B. Slade, and I was licensed to drive a school bus. And my mom found it when I was home for the summer from college and took it away. It was and pretty good. It was a pretty good fake ID, yeah. Yeah, yeah and it worked every time. Until it was gone. Mm. Yeah, I helped Corey demolish a wall in the kitchen the other day. And as I did, I stuck my head through it. I said, walk this way! In a Steven <laughs> Tyler voice. It was pretty great. Oh, it sounded just like him. <laughs> it's like he was here in the room, wasn't it? Yeah. You were wondering why I brought all the scarves to this recording. Yeah, it was unusual mm -hmm. for you to have that much uh, flair. Yeah, normally I have like five or six scarves mm -hmm. just tied around things. But uh, this time I brought some extra scarves and tied several of them around the microphone. Mm -hmm. Very fetching. Thank you for noticing. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about this comic book? Okay. Corey, what did you think of this comic book? weird set of first impressions which for me are usually the cover and then like the first page or do you call it a splash page is there a special word for it the splash page is the one that the credits usually appear on that's the big image and then the title page basically okay so cover great mm -hmm. initial page with the titans walking through the sewer really like kind of oddly depicted faces especially troya and I actually really liked that. I feel like it set a very different tone. There's a different art team for the book. It's Tom Grummet, who's been doing the pencils for the last couple of issues. Mm -hmm. Perez was doing the layouts and, like, basic pencils, and then Tom Grummet was doing the finished pencils. I believe Bob McLeod was doing the inks over those. In this, it is just Tom Grummet doing all of the pencils, and then a new inker named Al Vey who I wasn't too familiar with. It is definitely a different style, and you're right about the splash page in general. has a different tone, not just than previous comics, but than the rest of this comic book. But I felt it worked to set kind of a different tone. I feel like, you're right, the faces looked different, but it looked right for a horror book for me. You know, I, I think it conveyed a horror tone. And yeah... Donna's face looks a little bit off from what we're used to seeing, but there was something about it that worked for me. I think it kind of reminded me of 
really early Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics, especially with the expression on Speedy's and Raven's faces. Mm -hmm. And because they're in the sewer and it's like a darker tone, it worked for me. Yeah, I was put off by the, just I guess, the difference in what I'm used to. I noticed it particularly with Troya mm -hmm. and also with Joey. It just was... in that image or throughout the issue? Mostly in that image, but then a couple places throughout the issue as well, especially the way that Jericho's nose is not very prominent. He's just mm. like got a couple dots, like the way that uh, female characters are sometimes drawn. Yeah, I can see what you're talking about there. I know what you mean, and I think it's going to be a, at least a little bit of a step down whenever George Perez steps away from a book. Although the Titans have had a really remarkable run of great pencilers working on it. I kept waiting for there to be more of a drop-off in art, but we didn't really see it unless we had some fill-in issues happening, because it went from Perez to Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, who was amazing, to Eduardo Barreto, who I think is underrated, and I thought did a really nice job, and then Perez came back. Mm -hmm. Tom Grumman, I think, is doing a really good job. I think the Alve inks take a little bit of adjusting to, but because there was such a tonal shift at the beginning of the comic, it still worked for me. And you do get that one page before you get the splash page of everything just being in the dark and just eyeballs and echoes that are from the rat's point of view. I thought that was pretty cool. That was really cool. And you mentioned uh, TMNT earlier and the mutant rat and the sewer thing made me think, oh gosh, this must have just been like part of that cultural moment. And so I did a search and I didn't really find any like conclusive big thing and i think this was 1990 it was isn't that when the teenage mutant ninja turtles live action movie came out I, this would have been later in 90 than this because this is january 1990 so end of 89 yeah i don't know the date for the movie but that was one of the things the search turned up was these movie posters and i thought to myself maybe i, th I don't know subconsciously <laughs> or not did that get into the the minds of the creative team on this it may have what I was most struck by with this issue is Marv Wolfman's ability to continue to get me to try to kick the football, you know? I'm more hopeful this time than I was last time. For some reason, I am too. Like, I think overall, the Batman arc, the Batman crossover arc that we had did end up working and had a really nice end to it had an amazing beginning, and then in the middle there was a bit of floundering, I felt like. As a storyline, I think it did work better at the end of it when I reread the whole thing in one sitting, as opposed to, like, pouring over each issue on a monthly basis. But we have had so many times Marv Wolfman set up a really promising beginning to a storyline where it's like, how is he going to fit all these pieces together? This is really exciting. I don't really understand what's going on. And then a few issues in, you realize, oh, he's going to do it by throwing away whatever puzzle pieces don't seem to fit that he forgets about. And I get really frustrated. But every time we start a new story arc, I'm like, oh, this is really cool. I wonder how he's going to do this. Yeah. So take, for example, the differences between the way this is set up and the Wildebeest story, which I think when that started, both of us were like, oh, this is going to be cool. And mm -hmm. then by the end of it, we're just like, ah. Yeah. So. In this one, we already know who the bad rat guy is, we think. Do we? we yeah, doesn't the, uh, I want to call him Daniel Lenoir, but that's the guitar player for Tom Waits. <laughs> what is the dude's name? He has like a French sounding name. Bob Lanier? Yeah, Lanier. Yeah. That guy. 
Hey there, this is Editor Hub here in the future. Throughout the course of this episode, I poked some fun at Corey for not remembering this dude's name. Well, turns out I didn't remember his name either. I thought it was Bob Lanier. It's actually Walt Lanier. So, fuck me, I guess. So, Canadian evil businessman, probably. Sure, but there's a big we were setting you up to do this. So but, I think he's part of a collective. I don't know that he's the main bad guy. Oh, still. he's not like the king. That's King I, Rat kept occurring to me too, but no. That's well, that's a, another Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles thing. There was a guy named King Rat who could control rats with his mind. Oh, not the... Is that a James Clavell novel? That was also a James Clavell novel, and it's also one of the creepiest things that happens in nature. Are you familiar with Rat Kings? Because no. it's an inversion of a rat king. I don't know if I want to know this. You don't, but you're going to. Sorry. Uh. A rat king is when a nest of rats ends up getting all of their tails tangled together. So it's like 10 to 12 rats that just move as a single unit like a cyclone because their tails are all tied together and they somehow know how to move in unison. And I think that was where King Rat, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle guy, got his inspiration like the telepathy angle because there's this thing that like oh when they do that they can mind meld with each other and then they're a collective unit dang i hope i never see a rat king it's terrifying and nobody knows if they actually exist is the other thing well like whoa, 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 whoa. then how does he even know it's a thing because people have faked them we think but we don't know because like you find them after they're dead Oh, did I? Did some guy just tie a bunch of rat tails together? The fuck is wrong with people? Probably. Dude, do you want a list? <laughs> How long is this? Well, that's I don't. Gonna no, that's going on there. Well, it's definitely it's going up pretty high on there. I'm shaking my head. I don't know, man. It's a it's a scary concept, and it's a hell of a lot easier a monster to fake than like when they tied a monkey to a fish and said it was a mermaid. You remember that? Uh, no. Oh, people tied a monkey to a fish and said it was a mermaid. And it was in, like, science things, maybe? Or maybe carnivals. I mixed those up. Science things? You know, like, uh, museums? Oh, <laughs> yeah, the old, uh, the old mermaid museum. Yep. Yeah. I remember that gag. Sure. Pretty good. No, you see, that it's the one you see on bumper stickers sometimes. You know the weird, creepy-looking mermaid that looks like a monkey that you see on bumper stickers? The alligator man thing? Is it's like Jake's something? Yeah, I thought that was the like a long flat alligator man. I don't know. Either way, don't tie a monkey to a fish and don't tie a bunch of rats together. No, don't do either of those things. Was that Aqualad's rule? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a pretty damn good rule. Yeah. So overall. It sounds like we both liked this issue and feel like this storyline has a lot of promise, right? Yes. One thing I was not happy to see, I gotta say, is the return of Deathstroke. I guess it's inevitable. He was a very popular villain. I actually really like the Deathstroke ongoing series that came out a couple of years ago that was written by Christopher Priest. But specifically in the context of the Titans, to have Deathstroke be their buddy now which is where this definitely seems like it is headed. Guard describes him as, That was my friend! He has been established as a real piece of shit in the pages of this comic book. 
And there was like a light switch flip redemption that he got where it's like, no, now I'm good and I'll be a mentor to Gar and we'll just put aside the fact that I tried to kill all of these teenagers and was sexually manipulating a 14-year-old girl until she killed herself. But it's okay because she was really the evil one. I was wondering how you were going to articulate that. You did a really good job. I was afraid I was going to have to say why I didn't like him. It sucks, you know? Yeah. And the Crisis on Infinite Earths had an opportunity, I think, if they want to have him be a redeemable character going forward, to mitigate or erase his relationship with Terra, and I'm pretty sure they didn't. And the idea that he is now supposed to be a sympathetic character, or even a cool villain that we're supposed to identify with, is really uncomfortable. It is, and uh, his goatee is also getting a little bit ridiculous. Well, it is the 90s. A time for ridiculous goatees. Oh yeah, that's true, I had one. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> yeah. We also see one of my other least favorite tropes, which did again crop up the last time we saw Deathstroke the Terminator. He is hanging out in the town of Africa. Oh man, I have this knee-jerk reaction now whenever the panel's like, meanwhile in Africa, I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. It's a big fucking place. You need to narrow it down a little bit. The tendency of comic books and Western fiction in general to treat Africa as a homogenous place is really, really weird. And I don't care for it. And you definitely get that in this issue. Speaking of... Africa, we had a, a funny thing this morning. I was reading the comic and, and Tina walked by and, and kind of shook her head and, and chuckled. And I was like, what? And she said, oh, I just, for a second, I forgot what you were, you know, reading. And I was trying to figure out who was, um, how did she say it? Aqualad. <laughs> it's like, that sounds like, like an African name that, that like maybe somebody's parents were being creative. I was like, <laughs> what, you know? what country would that be from? She's like, oh, no, it's, it doesn't sound like an African name. I was just a qualod. <laughs> For a little bit of context, uh, Corey's partner grew up in the DRC. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess that helps to say, right? <laughs> just randomly say, that sounds African. Like, yeah. She has some experience <laughs> with, right. with, with, with lots of names. Indeed. From a continent with a lot of different countries. <laughs> yep. I was also a little bit confused when I was first reading this with Deathstroke's travel plans. Like, he gets off the airplane, and then a guy's like, Acme Metals. And then he jumps into that truck and drives away. And I was like, wait, what? Because he came through customs, he's got a backpack presumably full of weapons, and that was no problem, but then he needs to jump into the back of a van to sneak out of the airport, does he just not have somebody to give him a ride home? <laughs> and then I did realize he flew into Toronto and then was sneaking across the American border. So apparently he is wanted in the United States, but not in Canada. And I was like, okay, that actually does make sense now. But for a while, I really was just like, wait, so is he just not able to get a cab? Does he just really hate paying cab fare? Yeah, that was puzzling to me also. I'm glad that you explained that. I didn't put it together. I mean, I did think to myself, why is he flying into Toronto? That's like a really big, expensive city. It's <laughs> yeah. probably not where his final destination is. Okay. So he rode on the top 
of a truck mm-hmm. from Toronto, Canada to New York. Yeah. What a knucklehead. In many ways, yes. That's the least of his <laughs> issues. One of the minor instances of him doing something that didn't make any goddamn sense is, you remember the scene where he is spying on his ex-wife and thinking, oh, I could uh, get her to help me, but then my kid would find out I was doing something illegal, so never mind, never mind. Mm-hmm. He's watching them through binoculars. Mm-hmm. What do we know about Deathstroke? that would make the use of binoculars seem less than optimal. Mm, He needs a monocular because he's only got one eye. Yeah, some people would call that a telescope, Corey. (laughs) But yeah, it it is weird because it it is not just inefficient, but it is also kind of impossible because the view that we see shows the binocular shaped like two hoops next to each other that he's watching through. And then you see... He is holding the binoculars up to both of his eyes. It doesn't make any sense. He's doing a very bad job. I am also doing a bad job as a critical reader because I just let that wash over me. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, it wasn't until rereading it that I was like, wait, what? They they make telescopes, and he definitely has custom gear made for himself. What is the etymology of telescope? Telescoping is something that can collapse in upon itself? Um, or expand? Like, we have see. that with television. Also. Uh-huh. Telegram. Telemarketing. I think it's... I think it means... It must mean just far away. Mm, like, okay. television, you're watching something that's far away. And telescope, you watch something that's far away. Okay. So. But I guess... That was already taken by the time television came out. Mm -hmm. And telegraph is you're sending writing far away. Or graphs, probably. Mm -hmm. Probably they did graphs first. And then tele... So calling it a monoscope is probably not super accurate. I thought I was on to something for a minute there, but... You're seeing one thing, unless you move it. Nope, that doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Telemonoscope? What? Telemonoscope. Instead of telescope? It's a one thing. (laughs) I mean, it's a one eye operation. (laughs) And it's for far away. You're making my brain hurt so much right now, Corey. I'm trying to dig myself out of this this (laughs) hole, and it's just getting worse the more I dig. You want to try for a monotelevision scope? I do not. Thank you. Okay. So we are greeted with a new villain in this issue. At the end of the issue, we see, and this is why I think maybe it isn't Bob who we met earlier in the issue. I think it might be a different guy because they're shrouding his face in shadows. And we've already seen the rat version of Bob and the human version of Bob. So this is like a new villain, I think, at the end that is sitting in the chair looking all like Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget. You know what, you're right, because he does have the creepy luminous eyes of the rat creatures, but he doesn't have the, like, snout. Yeah, he he looks more like Mumra, kind of. Oh, man. In silhouette. So, okay, then that means that Canadian businessman and uh, avant-garde jazz guitar player Daniel Lenoir is... Still potentially the main bad guy in this book, we don't know. know. 
What? I can't remember the dude's name. Bob Lanier. Bob Lanier. Thank yeah. you. Is not necessarily off the hook. It still could be him. The guy is shrouded in shadows. Maybe he has a setting that is between Rat and Tom Waits' guitarist. <laughs> he's, when he's working with his magic slash science guy, he's like, okay, I want a, a setting between Rat Face and Human Face. <laughs> Like still creepy, but without the without the snout. Mm. Give me a James Woods. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> creepy rat man, no snout. Sorry, Mister Woods. No, don't be. Is he is he bad? Oh, he's he's amongst the worst. So pretty early on in the issue, there is a scene where. Speedy stumbles into Raven and kind of has a tumble through the Raven verse where he kind of trips balls. What did you think of that scene? I thought it makes sense in the sense that psychedelics can be used to help people get over problems that they have that might be an addiction or to deal with their own mortality if they have a terminal disease or that sort of a thing. So in that sense, having a psychedelic experience to come to the conclusion of, I'm going to stop screwing up, might make sense. But this is speedy. Mm -hmm. So my bullshit alarm went off. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense at all. I was okay with that aspect of it. It was a scene that initially my thought was like, whoa, this is a weird time for a therapy session. Like they are in the middle of a pitched battle and he stumbles into the Raveniverse or whatever happens when you fall into her soul tummy. And it doesn't seem like most people have that reaction to her powers. And so if it's something that she's doing, this is a weird time to do it. Maybe wait a little bit. But the more I thought about it, the more it A, made sense, and two, I liked it. And I think it makes sense in the sense of Raven's powers, especially as she was trying to, at the time, use them on the rat creature. She was trying to have a calming and soporific effect on him. And so I can see if at that point Speedy stumbles into her, it having a dope-like effect on him and triggering his sense memories of his heroin addiction. And so him being forced to relive those feelings and then coming to terms with them. It did require a bit of work on my part to get there, but I kind of dug it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, my first thought was thinking of the, you know, the current, like, pharmacological application of psychedelics. And mm -hmm. yeah, that could be what's going on. But I lacked the context that you just provided where it would, I guess, make sense if that's what Raven was trying to do to the, to the rat guy when the rat guy threw Speedy into mm -hmm. her result on me. But... I'm still on the fence that he, because the conclusion that he comes out of it with is like, I'm basically going to stop being such a fuck up. Mm. I saw that as him being like, oh shit, is this going to trigger a relapse for me? And then him being like, no, it's cool. I have this beat. And that is something that I think we have seen from Speedy. Oh, okay. Just in terms of his addiction. Yeah. Opioids. Hmm. I don't know. It was, it was an interesting scene and one that, as I said, at first I was like, this doesn't make any sense. That's not how people react to Raven. So I don't get why he is or why this scene is happening now. 
but it did cause me to stop and think about it more. And then I ended up coming to a place with it that I really appreciated. Mm. We talked about the art a little bit earlier and the art team change that happened in this. One of the things that I really liked about this and that I really noticed about this art team in specific, you have described issues before as having a really cinematic feel. Mm -hmm. And this issue specifically, there are a number of panels that are using the language of cinema in these panels in a way that I thought was really interesting. I think the most overt of these is the scene where Deathstroke's plane is landing in Toronto. There's a lens flare. Mm -hmm. Like, I thought that was a really fun touch. There's also the scene that happens over the plains of Africa, where you first see Deathstroke, and there is, like, the wide-angle shot of the landscape, and then you see a tiny figure in the background, and then he approaches the screen, and that happens over the course of the page. Like, that is a scene that seems so familiar from action movies. I feel like the whole sequence of him having that helicopter fight mm -hmm. was, like, right out of a, an 80s action movie, and you're right, I think that those panels... They reminded me of storyboards that I've seen, mm -hmm. but like really detailed storyboards. Yeah. And there's another one, the scene where they're waiting for Raven to recover in the hospital room. The scene starts off with a Dutch angle shot where it's askew and an overhead shot of them pacing in the waiting room. And the way that like negative space is used in that. And like I said, it's a high angle overhead shot, which makes them seem less powerful and like that is exactly what that scene is connoting and that they're disoriented it's so well done and also is very specifically using the language of cinema and i i really appreciated that it really is and they also really captured speedy's man spreading <laughs> yes you see the way he's sitting on that couch he's taking uh -huh. up like two and a half cushions yep fucking speedy <laughs> why do they call it the dutch angle Honestly, I think it probably is another holdover to poor Anglo-Dutch relations in the 1600s, which is when you get phrases Dutch like courage. Dutch courage, mm -hmm. Dutch uncle, Dutch treat. So yeah, it's, you know, again, talking shit about Dutch people. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Holland. Your airport in Schlepel is lovely. And Schiepel? Schlepel? Is that the name of the airport in Amsterdam? Oh, I don't know. That's a nice one. I haven't been to it. It's big, but I it's, thought you were it's well organized. I thought you were calling them all sheeple. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up, Holland. God, I hate that word. You're right. It should be Scherson for the singular. What are you, a grammar cop? <laughs> no, you have to tell me. Corey, I'm not a grammar cop. Okay. <laughs> There is another, I think, inadvertent touch of realism in this comic book when Raven is trying and doing a very bad job of consoling Jericho. You can see that during his time in the sewer, he picked up a case of pink eye. Oh. Was that in the digital copy as well? I know you didn't read the print copy of this. The copy that I had, he had like a David Bowie, two different eye colors thing going on. Oh. It's much more pink in the print copy. Yeah, he has one eye that is just total pink eye. They didn't color the whites. There were a few actual color misprints in this issue. There was that one where there was a in-story potential 
reason for it. But in the other one, it's a panel that may come up again later. But during his big fight with Deathstroke, Beast Boy's face is colored pale blue for some reason. And uh, it makes him look like Captain Planet going to prom because he's wearing his little tuxedo in that. And uh, he's got the blue face and the green hair. And yeah. Yeah, he does. He looks just like Captain Planet. That yeah. is unnerving, except for his little green hands. Mm-hmm. I mentioned that Raven was not doing a great job consoling Joey, and she really is not. She makes some odd choices in this issue that I was having some difficulty parsing, frankly. She's like, we both have shitty dads. No, mine is way worse. <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> but she started off with, because, like, Joey's upset, because, like, oh, my dad's in town and he didn't even call. And now he's going to get murdered by a rat again. <laughs> so typical. But Raven's go-to is just like, now, Jericho, I know that our fathers are both horrifying genocidal monsters who are maybe the literal devil that we probably will have to murder and then not feel bad about. This is hard, right? Jericho just looks at her like, what the fuck? And she's like, oh yeah, I guess mine probably is worse. The other decision that she makes that I couldn't figure out the logic behind was, okay, she saves Donna from the plague that the giant rat man gave her mm -hmm. by taking it in to herself. Mm -hmm. The doctors were trying to get at her to stop her from trying to do that because it would be too dangerous for her. She would be endangering herself. Mm -hmm. She takes the plague on. Beast Boy's running interference. And then after that, He's like, well, should I let the doctors through? You took the plague out of Wonder Girl. And Raven's response is, yes, but only let them near me. They weren't trying to hurt Donna. Donna's in no danger from the treatments that the doctors are going to give her. Why doesn't she want the doctors to treat Wonder Girl at all? Or is she just saying, no, all the medical attention to me, only me. I think the latter because she's got all the plague now. And she wanted them to take her blood to figure out what it is. I guess, but... And Donna's fine. She's just <laughs> sleeping now. It just seemed really weird to me that she was like... And, and Beast Boy was like, you stay away from Wonder Girl, though. Like, why? They have a huge staff. It's Star Labs, for God's sake. Well, they have some not unreasonable doubts about Star Labs medical folks doing ethical things. Okay. Maybe she's also just a little bit annoyed at Wonder Girl, <laughs> because at the beginning of the book, they're wandering around in the sewer in the dark for what seems like a while before Donna is like, I do have this whole ass superpower that is me having a magic flashlight. Do you think I should use it? Yep. I was annoyed with Donna for that. Yeah. Yeah, no. It's like, you had that flashlight this whole time. Everybody knows she's got the flashlight. She has a whole ass superpower that is having a flashlight, and then they go into the sewers and wander around in pitch black for, like, a couple pages? I don't know what that is in comic book time. Probably about 20 minutes, I'd guess. That's why nobody chuckled when she made her little pun about, I can shed some light on this. Do you think she was just yeah, waiting whatever. for the opportunity to use that pun? I think that's why she didn't do it do right away. For, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry, and now I'm with Raven. Stay away from her! <laughs> no treatment for Donna! All of the painkillers for me! I will say it is also 
difficult for me to engage in the stakes that we are supposed to when Raven is treating someone, where she has these nonsense magical powers that work every time, and every time it seems to set up a situation where it's like, I don't know if this will work this time. I'll have to nonsense as hard as I can. It's not working. I'll nonsense harder. Now it worked. Look, we've been experiencing this sort of thing with these characters, and frankly, in most comic books. But in this case, for 62-some-odd issues. More than that. 62-odd oh, issues of, of this, the, the new plus one. 60 issues of the previous series. So, like, God, we've read so 120 many. new Titans, and then 60 of the original Titans team. Although Raven wasn't on that, so. Yeah, but every time, right? It's, oh, guys, <laughs> we're in the deep end. I don't know if we're going to make it out. Nonsense harder? Nonsense harder. Okay, we did it! Yay! And it's still fun somehow. It is mostly. With the magic powers where there is no explanation for them, I don't know. I need a little more nonsense hand-waving. I need some specific nonsense. And just where there is no real explanation of how her powers work, it's a little bit much for me. I'm used to it with Raven, though. So, like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever, your dad was bad. The one that bugs me now is Troya. Because I feel like it's this, like, magician's hat where whatever mm. situation you can just pull out the appropriate rabbit and there you go. Is that how stage magicians work? They have, like, Swiss army rabbits? That was probably not a great metaphor. <laughs> what, what, <laughs> what different rabbits do you think solve different situations? Um, like, nibble I mean, through electrical me, wires. Give, give that, a, that's something. Give me a situation. Okay. You're a magician. Uh-huh. You get your hat out. Uh-huh. You gotta get something off a tall shelf. Tall shelf? Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, that's the, that's the uh, jumping rabbit. Okay. Like a jackrabbit. It's gonna mess that thing up, though, because it's gonna use its sharp teeth to grab it. That's fair, though. Um, you have a big pile of carrots that need to get eaten. Oh, that's, you just throw a bunch of rabbits at that. Yeah, that was kind of a softball. Yeah. Sorry. It's okay. You have a difficult math equation that needs to be solved. Are you by yourself in this situation? Or yes. is there like, oh... That's a tough one, because I was going to just take the rabbit and throw it at the teacher and run. <laughs> oh, well, you know, with, with that, uh, Corey, you could, depending on what kind of math problem, rabbits are great at multiplying. <laughs> you convinced me. Uh, Swiss Army rabbit hat situation. I know you're not a fan of uh, rabbits in general, but... It's not that I'm not a fan of them, it's just that I'm scared of them. Which is the case of much of the animal kingdom, I am realizing more and more. Most animals I'm afraid of. Mm. I'm afraid of horses. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid of birds. Mm -hmm. As this issue is informing me, uh, as I'm reading it, I am afraid of rats. Mm -hmm. uh, goats, they got those creepy eyes. Yeah, they will eat your shirt. Tigers are pretty scary. Really, I would be hard-pressed to find an animal in the wild that I would not be afraid to encounter. Kangaroo would kick your goddamn ass. Yeah. What about a marsupial? Like a small, cute one. Well, I did just say kangaroo. But I think... No, a small, cute one. Like a, uh, a lemur of some sort that has a pouch. I think I would be afraid of one. I think if I encountered one oh, in the wild... They have Jericho eyes. They do have Jericho eyes. Yeah, creepy. Yeah. Are lemurs marsupials? Uh, I didn't think they were. I thought marsupials only lived in Australia and lemurs only lived in Madagascar. I said like a lemur with a pouch oh okay a pouched lemur gotcha i don't know that much about animals 
I don't know that much about them either, just that I'm afraid of them. Sounds and I like them mostly. Yeah, so you can like something that you're afraid of. Mm-hmm. It's awfully big of me. Corey, was there anything else you wanted to talk about about this comic that you don't think will come up in the minutia? I think it will come up in the minutia. Okay. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what category do you feel like starting off with? Let's talk about fashion. Okay, sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion in this issue did you find most noteworthy? So, there was a bunch of panels of the charity event at Canadian business magnate slash rat guy's house. I don't think the guy's Canadian. What's his last name again? Lanier. That sounds Canadian to me. (laughs) You're such a Canadian racist. I just, like, you know, uh, half my family is from up there on the, on the East Coast side, Acadians, right? right? Yeah. That's like a, a French-sounding last name, probably Acadian. Acadien. Oh. May we? Zoot alors. Sacre vous. Uh-huh. Tout le monde. Lazy les bon temps pour les. Je m'appelle Hub. La chat mange une orange. We? Oui? <laughs> I can do this all day. Damn it! <laughs> okay, whatever. Uh, he's got a big fancy party. So this is 1990, right? Yeah. But to me, a lot of those party dresses looked very 80s. Yeah. And this issue, the cover date is January of 1990. So probably actually came out in like... October of 89. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are very, very 80s fashion, but specifically, it does not look like a rich person party. It is supposed to look like a fundraising event, but it looks like an 80s prom. The tuxedos yes. that people are wearing are yeah. very much prom tuxedos. And that problem is exacerbated by the fact that there is a big punch bowl in the middle of the table. That's what I was going to say. It, a, it reminds me of prom, and B, You've got this magnificent estate with this giant pool, and you've got three folding tables with a punch bowl and, like, (laughs) some chips. It's especially driven home when Deathstroke is wandering around and is like, Oh, the waste alone here would feed hundreds for days. Hundreds of what? Like, hundreds of fucking chipmunks? I don't know, maybe it's a really calorie-dense punch bowl, but... Maybe, it looks like there's a small pile of scrambled eggs next to it. Oh, yeah. So, I guess maybe he just has, like, a really slow metabolism? (laughs) I don't know. In terms of fashion, though, I was specifically struck by how much better dressed than all of the guests the butler is. Mm. Like, the guy taking Deathstroke's overcoat is dressed much better than the guests, but similarly. Like, he is wearing a tuxedo, too, but his actually seems like it fits and it's charcoal gray. If I was a butler and these guys showed up dressed the way that they are in a worse looking version of what I was wearing, I think I would be like, are you guys making fun of me? Mm. <laughs> like, are you having like a butler party? Don't make me bubble if you're going to have a butler party. I can't get my mind around if that would be bad or good to be at a butler party. 
I mean, I guess it would depend like, on the would, boss. Like, would anything would get done? Everybody would be butlers. I think that obviously nothing would get done because it would be rich people cosplaying as butlers, which it just seems offensive, you know? Mm. Like, oh, look at me. I'm a butler. Would you like a canapé, sir? Call me by my last name. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. Impression I, of a rich person pretending to be a butler. <laughs> thank you. It's one that I've workshopped. That was my SNL audition tape. Oh. Yeah. Didn't get on. Huh. The other specific thought I had about this party is that it looks like they have Goofus and Gallant here. There is one person at the party who you see in the same room a very drunk version of who's hanging out with a bunch of ladies and one who is very buttoned down and has his bow tie still tied, accepting a single glass from a server. Mm -hmm. And it looks like they are setting up a Goofus-Gallant situation because it's the same guy. Man, I didn't catch that. Isn't that weird? He's having so much more fun towards the bottom of the page. Well, that's because Goofus knows where it's fucking at. Mm. I'm not uh, familiar with Goofus and Gallant, I don't think. It was in uh, Highlights Magazine. The two things you read in Highlights Magazine when you're I at the doctor's that. office. Well, when you're at the doctor's office, there's two things you read in Highlights. When you're a small person like a kid right they don't make that anymore do they i don't know i don't have insurance i don't get to go to the doctor <laughs> i would be pissed off as i went to a doctor's office and there wasn't a highlights magazine i don't think there is oh, that's a fucking bummer yeah where am i gonna get my hidden pictures fix we had that as kids right did you get it sent to your house highlights no okay i had that as part of like one of those book club things but uh, i don't remember anything from it we had ranger rick which i read for the cartoons oh yeah and Zoo Books, oh, and no. uh, Cricket Magazine. I really liked Cricket mm -hmm. a lot. I think those are the main magazines we got as a kid. For highlights, you had to go to the doctor. But yeah, you, you know what Goofus and Gallant is as a cultural reference, right? Not really. Okay. I mean, you can kind of gather from the names. But... Yeah, there, there are these two guys that look the same, and it's like, Goofus does this. What a fuck up. Gallant does this. Pretty cool. But really, Goofus knew the fucking score. He just doesn't buy into the system the way that Gallant does. Back to fashion. Mm. Deathstroke, wearing a hell of a turtleneck sweater. Thick cable knit, looks like. That was the other one that I had. It's a good look. Also do want to point out Adeline Kane in the scene where he is inexplicably watching her through binoculars. She is using a big old cigarette holder on her cigarette. Unless she is, as I believe you have surmised in the past, potentially... Smoking a joint the size of the Holland Tunnel. Yeah. Big fatty. One of those two is going on. I think with Adeline Kane, it's usually safe to assume cigarette holder just because she is canonically the most divorced woman in the history of fiction. Like, not that she's been divorced more, but she's better at it. And you can't be high to get good at divorcing? No, you gotta keep your ass on the prize. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, having a, smoking a cigarette through a cigarette holder is a very, like, 80s divorcee thing to do. Okay. And so she does it. The other major fashion that I noticed in this comic was Beast Boy when he first shows up. He is wearing a tank top, like an A-shirt, and uh, jeans. And, I don't know, it's a very, like, 50s street-tough look for him. And one that we're not used to seeing. But I thought it kind of worked for him. The jeans are extremely tight. Like, uh, 
what were those called? Action jeans? Well, he's a, he's an action kind of teen. Mm-hmm. I guess at that point, though, if, if you're Beast Boy, you probably don't bother with that because your clothes are either going to get shredded when you turn into a gorilla or fall off you when you turn into a fly. That's one of the things that's really good about the Titans TV show. Yeah. Is that he's always like kind of embarrassed because he's naked after he beasts out. It is so odd in both that and the cartoon Young Justice to see a Beast Boy that I like. Mm-hmm. It, it always throws me off for a bit. Mm-hmm. That being said, and this will come up in the next category, kind of like Beast Boy in this issue. Yeah, he and Starfire share a totally non-creepy hug. It's really weird. Okay, let's get there. Corey, every issue of a Teen Titans comic has an Aqualad, the greatest of heroes, and a Beast Boy, the worst of heroes, until Danny fucking Chase showed up. In this issue, who did you have as your Aqualad, and who did you have as your Beast Boy? Spoiler, I had Beast Boy as my Aqualad. I did too, with a caveat, but then the caveat actually bumped him into the Beast Boy category. So oh, here's how wow, what a roller coaster. I know. So I had him for being the best for some reasons, but also viewed through a different lens, they bumped him into the worst category. Okay. So the things he did that were best things are, first of all, yeah, non-creepy hug with Starfire. Mm-hmm. That, I know it's a low bar, but he did clear it. Yeah, that stands as is. He didn't screw that one up and get creepy later. But the other things are, one, in his attempt to protect his friends in the hospital when he turned into the gorilla, mm-hmm. after that, he came back out and told Starfire and, and Cyborg and Joey and Speedy, who were super nervous about the prognosis for Donna and Raven, that everything was fine. Mm-hmm. Which, I think that was a big fat lie. Really? Yeah, because you see Raven you, walking around later on. If you look at his face in the panel before that, he's just full of concern. And then he comes out and gives this like big grin and a thumbs up. I, I think he is trying to make his friends better by lying about the seriousness of the condition. That's later. Time has passed. That's what that Dutch angle shot we talked about earlier. That shows time passing. You see them waiting patiently for a while in the waiting room. Then he turns into a fly, gets the scoop, and then informs them of that. So he's heard that everything's okay and he's not lying to his friends? That's, that was your take on it? At the very least, this scene where he informs them that everything is going to be fine happens significantly after he is concerned. Okay, well, that was my caveat. If he didn't lie to his friends about the seriousness of the medical condition of Raven and Donna, then he had my vote. Okay, he does have my vote because I think Double that he Beast does not Boy. do that. Double Beast Boy for Aqualad. What? what a world we are living in. Dang. What a time to be alive. Conversely, who did you have as your Beast Boy? Well, because I thought he had lied to his friends, <laughs> I had Beast Boy. And I don't have a backup. On the fly, hmm, maybe this hinges on... So what happened to cause the rat to blow up? Or did the rat blow up? What? In the sewer fight when um, Cyborg's like, oh, I'm going to mess this rat up real bad. And Starfire's like, me too. And then there was a giant explosion. It kind of looks like the rat blew himself up, but maybe one of those two screwed up and caused a sewer gas explosion, in which case they would get it. It is a confusing scene. I did not read it as the rat blowing up. 
I viewed it as the rat making a big flash and blinding them, and then the rat escapes. But there is no explanation of what happens with the rat at that point, except for it was an unsatisfying conclusion for the Titans, and then they have to go to the hospital. It left me very confused. And, Understandably so. Um, because I don't like being confused, I'm going to say Cyborg's the worst. <laughs> Fair enough. I had a bevy of options for my Beast Boy in this issue. Number one with a bullet, I am going with. And a uh, bullet could potentially be a pun, which, you know what, I did on purpose. It's Deathstroke, because he's an assassin, so he uses bullets. We can pick him? I think we are supposed to see him as one of the good guys at this point. Ugh. And so I think that sucks too. So I had Slade Wilson, Deathstroke the Terminator, as my beast boy in this issue. Because he's who he is. And also, get a fucking telescope. As backups. And so if we, if we are taking Deathstroke off the table, you got Raven for her. No, only medical attention for me. Leave Donna alone. Oh, come on, Donna's fine. Okay. Then uh, we got Donna as a potential, too, for uh, not turning on her magic flashlight a little bit sooner. Because she wanted to make a pun. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Can I switch to... Th I think I'm going to switch to Donna. You can to switch Donna. to Donna. I like Slade okay. in this. He's fine. Okay. Yeah. Well, then we'll, we'll go with Donna. Okay. Okay, Slade Wilson for you, Donna for me. Okay. Although, I didn't know Slade Wilson was on the table. He is canonically way worse yeah. than anybody. He's canonically way worse. I don't know that he's specifically way worse in this issue, but I don't like him, so I'm going to go with him. Fair enough. Who did you have as your president of the drama club? Who acted, or rather overacted, in the most dramatic fashion in this comic? Because of his psychedelic trip going through Raven's soul tummy, I had Speedy. Okay. I mean, nobody else saw that except for him. It wasn't like he was putting on a show for people. You're putting on a show for me. Okay. I had Raven for the reasons we've discussed. It's all about her in this issue. I want all of the medical attention. <laughs> and also the, you know, my dad's a real piece of shit too. Mm. I murdered him. Do you want me to help murder your dad? I mean, that's implied, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I I think in this issue, Raven had it be all about Raven. And you know what? That's so Raven. So she gets the nod for president of the drama club. Corey, were you able to find any timestamps in this issue? This one is a little bit of a point of confusion. We We talked about the scene already. The guy that tells Deathstroke to get on top of the steel transportation van to get away from the Toronto airport mm -hmm. appears to be holding something that looks like a lit cigarette mm. in his hands inside the airport. Yeah. And I don't recall when that ended, but that seems like a long time ago thing. So I, I gave that a potential uh, timestamp. I bet you could still smoke in the airport in 1990, at least in designated sections. I'm sure there were non-smoking sections of the airport. But I feel like there were still times when you could smoke on the airplane in the smoking section in 1990. I don't mm. know exactly when that switched, but it was around then. So that could be a, a timestamp. Yeah, it was a tough issue for that. Mine also revolved around smoking, and it was the scene where they are in the Star Labs waiting room. You can see there is a non-smoking sign on the wall, 
but you can also tell it must be a relatively new sign because the trash can next to Speedy is the kind that still has the oh, ashtray, ashtray on the top. Mm. So that was my timestamp. That's my official timestamp, unofficial timestamp, and this would be cheating if I used this as mine, but the back page ad is for not just the Batman movie, but the fact that the new Batman movie will soon be available on video cassette. Oh, man. It also advertises Batman as the movie of the decade, and this is the January 1990 issue of this comic book, so that is taking a big swing. Wow. And I wonder if it means specifically the VHS copy of it. Like, that's the movie of the decade, the version that's on the VHS cassette, because mm -hmm. it maybe has the Bat Dance video at the end. Ugh. I will not stand for your Bat Dance denigration, Corey. It's an amazing song and an amazing video. Neither of those statements are accurate. You didn't think that video was amazing? No. Oh. The pop, that song the is pageantry. so stupid. I'm not saying it isn't stupid. I'm just saying I liked it. Touche, but ugh, it's bad. You're just going to have to agree that you're wrong. Speaking of music, let's have ourselves a Battle of the Band! Names. Corey, what band names were you able to find in this comic book? I only got two. Okay, then... I will start because I have three of them and we can sandwich yours. Uh. All right. So my first option is a momentary affair. Hmm. And I think they are the smooth jazz version of the Minutemen. Oh, no. Oh, I'm no. not saying they do covers. I'm saying they do short, punchy, smooth jazz songs that are quick and to the point. Okay. No between song banter. This next one is called A Night in Paris. This next one is called <laughs> Pretty good. So that that's a, a momentary affair. Alright. Let's follow up that smooth jazz with some heavier fare. Ooh. This is a band, I think, from I don't know, somewhere cold. Like that's a lot of snow. Finland? Yeah, they're they're from Finland and they're called Cold Metal. Oh, Nice. Yeah. Do you think they ever played any shows with Acme Metal? Oh, no. Is that one of yours? Yeah. They either play, I think, very generic metal music, mm. or they play Looney Tunes-specific metal music. <laughs> like, you know, in the early 90s, you'd see all the t-shirts of the Looney Tunes gang wearing, like, hip-hop gear, like, with their arms crossed? Mm -hmm. This would be them, but wearing, like, Heavy metal makeup, like 80s hair rock. Wow. Yeah. So that's Acme Metals, maybe. I do not like that. Okay. Well, what's a band that you might like? I don't I don't have one from this issue, but I do have another one. Okay, let's hear it. All right, they're called Foomp. Oh. F-O-O-M-P with an exclamation point, all capitals. This is a band that was put together based on a love of soccer and a song by a band that some European soccer fans like a lot, which is uh, Tub Thumping by Chumbawamba that I get knocked down. Chumbawamba is fucking rad. It's a very catchy song. 
I'm, I'm familiar with that, but Chumble Woman themselves is fucking rad. They're a band that was around for a while. That was their one hit, but, like, they were awesome fucking anarchists and have conducted themselves remarkably well in light of their brief fame and have used it for a lot of good. And their, their other music's fucking great. You should listen to some Chumble Wumba. I honestly think you would like it. That is good to know. I listened mm-hmm. to this song sure. when I was writing this because I wanted <laughs> to remind myself of it. It's not a bad song. No, it's catchy. Yeah. I was annoyed at how much it was in the cultural ether for a minute there in the yes. 90s, I guess. But, yes. um, so anyway, foomp. they just play songs that sound like that. Okay. I'm not entirely certain what type of music this next band plays, but... I do think I would like it. They're called the Mindless Animals. Ooh. I mean, the easy route would go to be, would they have them do very vapid covers of Eric Burton and the Animals? Like, a lot of House of the Rising Sun. But I think they're better than that. I think they are just like, you know, it's not too thinky, but it is uh, just some straight ahead, like, good, hard rock. Mm. So, of the options, we have Foomp, we have... A momentary affair. We have the mindless animals. We have cold metal, and we have acme metal. Oh man, I'm mindless animals all the way. Yeah, I think that's the band I would like to listen to most. I think a momentary affair might be my favorite name, though. Hmm. Sounds more literary, but I don't know. You want to flip a coin? Sure. I emptied my pockets of coins. Okay, <laughs> the only coin I have right now is this flattened penny from a national park. So, uh, Crater Lakes or words about Crater Lake? Uh, Crater Lake. Okay, and that is for Mindless Animals? Mm-hmm. Mindless Animals it is. Woohoo! Man, Momentary Affair is going to be so pumped. <laughs> You would not want to be on their bad side, Corey. Why is that? Do you know how tough you need to be to play short, smooth jazz songs to an angry audience? Why is the audience angry? Because the songs are so short. Uh. They want more of this. They can't get enough. Corey, let's take this party to the Bozo. What instance of one character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, do you want to talk about? I feel like there wasn't a ton to choose from in this issue. I had Speedy doing what he often does, referring to the entire team as a bunch of bozos. Mm. And he also gets a, a quick little zinger in on Beast Boy while he's doing it, because he says something like, In short, Shorty, we didn't know enough to duck when everything hit the fan. Yep, I had the same thing. And I think you actually nailed it verbatim. I'm pretty sure that is the direct quote of what he said. Oh. There was not a ton to choose from, but I did actually like that turn of phrase. And, and it's not one that I'd heard before. I assume it is a expression like, didn't know enough to duck when the shit hit the fan. Mm-hmm. But uh, certainly very evocative. Mm-hmm. You just duck instinctively, one would think. But mm-hmm. if you didn't even know to do that, what a dumbo. Yeah, he was listening to that, that uh, Circle Jerk song. When the shit hits the fan. He said, we all gotta duck when the shit hits the fan. Oh. I didn't know that was the Circle Jerks. It, it sounds so little like what I think of them. They have, they have like. their normal, like, punk version. Of yeah, it, I, I yeah. just know the slow version of yeah. it. Well, good for them. Uh-huh. 
And good for Speedy for knowing that. Yeah, weird. Yeah. Corey, what was your favorite panel? I had three to choose from. Two of them are kind of landscape panels. Mm. The first one was Africa, you know, <laughs> town of Africa. It looks pretty nice. It looks really cool. It is a sunset or possibly sunrise over the plains with a mountain in the background. It looks very 80s, but it is really nicely drawn. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, hot pink clouds, mm -hmm. a giraffe nibbling on, maybe an acacia tree. Yeah, probably. Yeah, pretty nice. Not bad. I had that. I had another one that also had a sky, not skyline, but like a sky, like sunrise or sunset scene, which was the beautiful Toronto airport. Mm. That was the one that had the lens flare mm -hmm. yep. with the silhouette of the plane. I had that as a potential choice, too. There was a third sunset scene, which didn't quite make my list, but was close. And that was the Titan Tower with the uh, very bright pink sky in the background. I thought mm -hmm. that was actually really nice as yeah. well. Yeah, that was a good one. I think those are all really solid choices. Uh, we talked about one of my favorites already. It was one of your least favorites, but the opening splash page. Like I said, I thought the different art style, <laughs> including the slightly distorted looking Donna face, worked for me and indicated a genre shift in a way that I appreciated. Whereas you just thought she looked kind of janky. Mm -hmm. I liked that. And I also really did like the uh, Captain Planet goes to prom picture <laughs> of uh, Beast Boy in the background with the foreground being the giant rat man attacking Deathstroke. The giant rats in this comic are super fucking creepy. The they... idea is creepy and the uh, rendering of them is, is pretty good. Yeah. Imagine a rat that big. Human-sized rat. No. <laughs> Have you seen the uh, the album cover of uh, Swamp Dog's album, Rat On? Mm -mm. It's pretty great. It's Swamp Dog riding a giant rat. And I fucking love Swamp that Dog. That dude is out there. He's awesome. His music is nice. His music is great. Well, Corey, I just have one more question I have to ask you. In the year of our Lord, 1990, and the month of our Lord, December, as we are way ahead of ourselves in terms of when this issue came out for when we were doing the Aqualads, what was Aqualad probably up to? Wapoot! Yeah, so we've talked about, um, I've talked about several times, Aqualad's fascination with science and technology, including his, uh, internship and mentorship with uh, Tim Berners-Lee, computer scientist who worked at uh, CERN in Switzerland, and uh, the birth of the internet. Mm -hmm. And he was a little bit bummed because after the very first website that came online on December 20th, 1990, he immediately clicked on the people link. Mm -hmm. <laughs> didn't see his name listed there. What? I know, it's weird. That site is still up and available if you go to uh, info.cern.ch slash hypertext slash dub 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 slash theproject.html. You can see the very first uh, website that came online and you go click on the, the who was involved thing and nary a mention of Aqualad. Wow. Pretty sad. You're speechless. I, this kind of Aqualad erasure is <laughs> horrifying. And... All too typical. So many interns have done so much and recognized so little. When will aquatic teens get the recognition that they deserve? 
Sure, every indeterminate amount of regular time there is a Aquatic Teen Appreciation Day, but you shouldn't have to wait until there's an emergency and Corey goes out of town at the last minute to recognize <laughs> the great work that Aquatic Teens are doing. It's just very sad. I'll do my part and just go out of town without telling you more. <laughs> no, no, Corey, don't be a hero. <laughs> okay. Well, that may be one thing that Aqualad was probably up to, but it wasn't the only thing that he was up to. The other thing that Aqualad was doing was, well, he started off by visiting his friends, the Teen Titans in New York at the Titan Tower. Wanted to swing by Star Labs, make sure... Raven and Donna were doing okay. He heard through the grapevine about their troubles. But while he was there, he, he overheard something that really disturbed him. You see, the movie Kindergarten Cop had come out recently, mm. but it wasn't really on Aqualad's radar. He, he was unaware that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger would be trying his hand at comedy. And so he was unprepared when he overheard a group of people quoting the movie at him. He was confused and alarmed when he heard multiple people saying, It's not a tumor! Because he assumed they were talking about the Namor aquatic villain, Atuma. And so he's like, well, if it's not Atuma, it probably is a different aquatic villain. I've got to find out what, I don't know, Orca or Bira or Tiger Shark are up to. What is going on? And who is behind these aquatic crimes. Mm. I'm going to have to go and search the whole country to find out who's behind this. Because he assumed it was a domestic issue. Sure. The problem was, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the United States is not connected by a system of canals the way that he was hoping it would be. And so he was like, well, I, I guess I'm going to have to go on a road trip. And rented a car. And then he went to fill the tank. And Corey, big problems. Because mm. there were problems in the Persian Gulf at this time, which led to record gas prices. Do you know how expensive a gallon of gas was in December of 1990? Okay. It was $1.60. I was going to say a buck seventy, but yeah. Well, <laughs> Corey, that's apocalyptic thinking. <laughs> but so he was like, uh, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> it's probably just Black Manta or something fucking up shit again uh, so uh, I'm, I guess they'll have to work out this problem by themselves mm. and then he went and watched Kindergarten Cop yeah, what do you think thought it was weird that people kept putting Arnold Schwarzenegger in acting roles I mean it's no twins but <laughs> that movie makes me so angry <laughs> twins or Kindergarten Cop Twins. Uh. As far as I know, the science in Kindergarten Cop is on point. But in the movie Twins, they keep <laughs> using as a running joke with not identical. Whereas the process that they describe in which a single egg is split in two, rather than two eggs are simultaneously fertilized, is a process that would make them identical twins. I know this comes up from time to time on the show. I just like poking at it. You get yeah. so excited. Well, I just love science so much, Corey. <laughs> I know. And Danny DeVito. <laughs> I do love Danny DeVito. But I only know, like, two science things. So when a movie defies one of those things... What's the other one? Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Which is sociology, which makes it a soft science, like hugging. <laughs> but, you know, it's all science. 
you know, I majored in hugging. <laughs> Pretty good at it. I was I was a split major between anthropology and hugging. Yeah, <laughs> close. You know what, Corey? Huh. I think you should have gotten back and gotten your doctorate because you're that damn good. Oh shit. Corey, thank you so much for joining us. Mm -hmm. I had a great time talking to you about this comic book. Seems like we went maybe a little bit long, but eh, we'll do that. Why not? We had a lot to say, most of which I'll probably edit out because it has nothing <laughs> to do with this comic book. And was maybe, more than a little bit, incoherent. I'm so sorry. That's quite all right. It was not entirely your fault. Thank you. We'll be back next week to talk some Defenders. In the meantime, if you would like to get into touch with us, we can be reached at Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon 97294. Or, as this is the future, we can be reached electronically. Can you imagine such a thing? Hmm. At ttwasteland at gmail.com. We're also up on the socials media, so you can find us on there if you look hard enough. But if you don't feel like looking that hard, well, there's a different place you can look, and that's deep inside your heart. We'll be in there. Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's hearts this week? Oh, boy. Unwinding. It's been a long week. Mm. A lot of work. A lot of uh, kitchen demolition. That's true. I'm probably uh, kicking back with a 4% lager. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I don't know, just relaxing. Mm. For those of you who didn't happen to be in Corey's kitchen yesterday... <laughs> He bought some beer to accompany his uh, demolition work and uh, briefly thought that it was 1% beer and was delighted to learn today that it was, in fact, 4% beer. Also explains why after three pints of it, <laughs> I started to feel a little funny. <laughs> Good to know. Yep. I think I'm going to be using a sledgehammer to smash holes in different doors Ooh. and walls. And try out some different catchphrases, mm. like maybe an oh yeah, maybe a uh, snap into a Slim Jim. Oh, that's a Did good he one. bust through a wall before he said that, or am I conflating him with Kool-Aid Man because they both also say, oh yeah. Um, probably the latter, but I, mm. I like it. I think Macho, way, a... Macho Man could smash the heck out of a wall. Oh, I bet he could, yeah. What would you say if you smashed through a wall? Is there like an original catchphrase you'd like <laughs> to try out? <laughs> yeah, okay, that's fair. I think we both said that yesterday at one point. At, at various points, I suspect that did come up. You, you know what I would do? Hmm. I, I would smash through the wall and then say, I'm directly addressing the audience! Because it was the fourth oh. wall. Yeah. 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 If you'd like to support the show monetarily, you can check us out at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to a whole bunch of bonus material. There is the podcast, What the Duck, podcast most filed, but with a W, because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. There are also a whole bunch of video reviews of classic comic books and a bunch of other material out there that is a thank you for people who are kind enough to donate and make it possible for us to keep doing the show. So thank you so much for that. Corey, if people would like to support the show in a non-monetary way, how would you suggest they go about that? If they even can. Oh, if you can. You can. It's easy. Really? Yep. So you could leave a review. Oh. For the show. You could go to wherever you got your podcast from. Okay. Or maybe other places. Click yeah. the leave a review button. Mm-hmm. And say, this was really fun. You know, made me feel good. I laughed. Do people have to tell the truth in their reviews? Oh, I don't think so. 
Nice. So you can just make up any crap as long as it has five stars. Yeah, you get flagged otherwise. Yeah, you'll probably get flagged. Untruthful. <laughs> yep. Get seven Pinocchios for you. Oh, nobody that, wants that. If is you that a lot of Pinocchios? I don't know how that scale works. I don't know what that is. Uh, it's like if you tell lies, then it's uh, there's this site that says that you get Pinocchios. Yeah, so if you leave less than a five-star review, you get seven Pinocchios. Don't do it, guys. Yeah, no, what are you even going to do with that many Pinocchios? It's too many. It's way too many. You know what? Hmm. I feel like if you're leaving a not five-star review, you're not only lying, but you're making other people lie. So I don't think you're even getting Pinocchios. I think you're getting Geppettos. Because you're making liars. Oh my gosh. You're making that website a liar for spreading your lie. So you get 12 Geppettos. So, in short... I'm sorry to lay that responsibility on you, our, our fine, fine listeners, mm-hmm. but um, don't be a Geppetto. Be a Pinocchio. No, wait. <laughs> don't do that either. What Disney character do you think people should be? Jiminy Cricket? <sighs> Pinocchio's the only Disney movie I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, I'm not real big on that either. Uh, What's the a Blue one? Fairy? That was from Pinocchio. A big whale that eats people, but you can live inside of it? Yeah, don't be a, be a Geppetto. Be a... No, he lived inside the whale. I don't think he was a Disney character. He's a Bible character. (laughs) I was trying to make this easy. (laughs) So don't be a Geppetto. Be a giant whale with a livable atmosphere inside of its tummy. Yeah, easy. Five stars. So that's one thing you can do. (laughs) Yep. Uh, The other thing is talk to people. Friends, neighbors, doesn't matter. Yeah. Anybody that you would normally be talking to about stuff you like? Get outside of your comfort zone. Talk to some people you wouldn't normally talk to. You don't have to, though. No, you do. Nobody's going to want to do that. Well, too bad. (laughs) Get out there. Talk to your your mail carrier. I mean, that's somebody you might normally talk to. Mm -hmm. I don't like my mail carrier. (laughs) He's a jerk. Really? Yeah. But, you know what? I still think I'll talk to him. It's outside of my comfort zone. But I'll be like, hey, mail carrier, put down that greasy ponytail for a second. Stop twirling it. Um, (laughs) He's always twirling his greasy ponytail. (laughs) What? Stop being mean to my dog for a second. Deliver the mail to my house for a goddamn change. Instead of just throwing it in a trash can the way you normally do. And maybe... Enjoy this fine podcast <laughs> called Tighten Up the Defense. I don't know who makes it. Oh, see, now I'm being a Geppetto. No, I'm just being a Pinocchio because I'm not making anybody else a liar because I'm not putting on a website I'm making that website a liar. Oh, my God. Just, and uh, then the mailman will be like, you know what? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I will. And maybe I'll wash this ponytail <laughs> and start doing a better job delivering the mail. I want to make it clear. I think mail carriers in general do a great job. It's just my mail carrier I don't care for. Unless he listens. He doesn't listen. If he listened, he'd do a better job. You have to edit this. Why? That's your job. You have to edit the show. Oh. Should we do it again? No. <laughs> Should we take a this real is fucking one? gold. <laughs> or you could talk to somebody about the show, a friend or a neighbor. Tell them you like it. 
Yeah, but probably you should talk to my mail carrier about it. Okay. Goodbye. <laughs> and they knew it. Scotch is like, like the IPA of the hard alcohol world. Do IPAs taste like band-aids to you? Fuck you. <laughs> I was really enjoying this. <laughs> oh, you're a jerk. <laughs> this one doesn't taste like band-aids. That's how good it is. It does. I'm sorry. You're a bad man. <laughs> Only a little bit. This is way less band-aid-y than the last one. I, this is the same as the last one. This is the same bottle as the is last it? one. Yeah. I don't have multiple bottles of scotch.